0: Good morning, everybody. Very good to see you this morning. It's good to have the kids in service with us also, Uh, this being the fourth uh, Sunday of the month. We love having our children in with us, worshiping together with mom and dad. And uh, if you're visiting with us for the very first time, uh, a special welcome to you. We hope that you will stop back uh, at the hub afterwards. We'd love to chat with you, talk with you, uh, get to know you better, and allow you to ask us whatever questions that you would like to ask of us. And uh, If you are, in fact, new, you may not be aware that we are in the middle of a series in the book of Ephesians. And so today we are in chapter five of the book of Ephesians. And in my preparation, I was reading a book, starting to read a new book by Andreas Kostenberger called God, Marriage, and Family. And he said something interesting fairly early on in the book. He said this that. It can be rightly said that marriage and the family are institutions under siege in our world today. Our very civilization is in crisis. We human beings, whether we realize it or not, are involved in a cosmic spiritual conflict that pits God against Satan. With marriage and the family serving as a key area in which spiritual and cultural battles are fought. Let's pray together. Father, as we look to your word this morning, we are very much aware that what we're about to read, what we're about to study, um, just is so countercultural. Lord, the reality is, is many times we feel like we're swimming upstream. Lord, even this morning, here, amidst your people worshiping you, it can feel like we're swimming upstream because our culture has so influenced our thinking that we don't even realize it. Lord, we're more influenced by the world than we care to admit, but this morning we come to you and we ask that you would influence us by your word. That we would take it to heart. And Lord, that we would submit to it. Holy Spirit, be our teacher here this morning, we pray. Amen. God's design for manhood and womanhood has been under attack for some time now. In fact, There is a great deal of confusion, not only in our culture, but also in the church, about what it means to be male and female. And of course, if you have questions and confusion about that, you're going to have questions and you'll be confused about what that looks like fleshed out in various areas of life, including that of marriage and the family. And four years ago, it's hard to believe, four years ago, I actually preached a series on this topic And we explored um, what what the Bible had to say about what it means to be a man and a woman. And and in that short time, the, the four years that have passed, our culture and the church has become even more confused. Over the last several years or so, there has been a great deal of talk about gender identity, and that was something that, although it was on the radar screen, you know, four years ago, it, it really hit the fan within the last, yeah, I'd say, three years or so. And so this morning, as, as I'm looking at this text, uh, I realize that I'm privileged, again, to kind of hit one of the texts that I preached on uh, four years ago. Now, I'm not going to be preaching the exact same sermon, but the text is the same, God's Word doesn't change, and so hopefully you will um, glean from it what God wants you to glean from it. Now, I would encourage you at some point to go back and listen to that 2016 series called Different by Design. And later this week, uh, Trevor is going to put a link, and when you go to the website and click on the Hub uh, or go to the, the media tab to listen to today's message again. There'll, there'll be some text there. There'll be a link to that message. And so I would encourage you to go back and do that, different by design. So this morning, if you're married, here's my, here's my challenge. I want you to listen attentively to God's word because he has something to say to you. Now, some of you may be here and you may be in full agreement with everything, that you hear. Some of you are going to be way over to the other side. Some of you are just going to be kind of, I'm not sure. And I really pray that God will do his work, that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher here this morning, and that you will come away with what God wants you to come away with. Now, if you're here and you're not yet married, but you hope to be married one day, uh, you will benefit greatly by listening to this message. Because you need to start preparing now for the day in which you do get married. You do have a husband. You do have a wife. And you need to know what does God expect of you in the covenant of marriage. And kids, if you're here, I know you're a long way from getting married. But I think if you listen really hard, you will learn how mommy and daddy are supposed to treat each other. And if they're not doing that, God may use you to help them. And so you you will also find out, if you listen very hard, you're going to learn how to become a godly young man and a godly young woman yourself. So that's my hope for you guys this morning. Now, in chapter 5, verse 21, last week we concluded with that, and we learned that one of the evidences of being filled with the Holy Spirit is this mutual submission one to another out of reverence for christ and starting here in verse 22 paul is going to show us what this submission looks like in various roles in relationships and today we're going to specifically focus on, on the marriage relationship uh, next week we'll hit a couple of other things but this morning we're going to see how it is fleshed out in marriage and in the process we're going to discover that Christian marriage, in fact, points people to Jesus. It points people to Jesus. So we're going to explore God's uh, unique role or responsibility for the man and woman in marriage, as well as the mystery of marriage. The mystery of marriage. And uh, let me begin by giving you a biblical definition Of marriage that I think is helpful. Uh, It's from uh, a gentleman named uh, John Stott. And it's not one that the world is going to agree with, but I think it's biblical even if it is a little incomplete. So here it is. Marriage is an exclusive heterosexual covenant between one man and one woman ordained and sealed by God preceded by leaving of parents, consummated in sexual union, issuing in a permanent, mutually supportive partnership, and normally crowned with the gift of children. So I want you to keep that in your hat. We're going to come back to it in a little bit. And if you have your Bibles, turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have your Bibles, I'll have the text up on the screen, and we'll be looking at it starting in verse 22, chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul writes, "'Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior.'" or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So we're going to talk first this morning about the roles of husband and wife in marriage. Because again, there's a lot of confusion over this in the church and in the surrounding culture. Um, And it reminded me of... Of a, a story or an illustration that I've shared previously, but it's too good not to share because it's so apropos here. There was a, a husband who was determined to uh, actually fulfill his role to the best of his ability, and he had just finished reading a new book entitled, You Can Be the Man of Your House. So after reading this book, he stormed into the kitchen saw his wife and announced, from now on, you, will, you need to know that I am the man of this house and my word is law. You will prepare me a gourmet meal tonight and when I'm finished eating my meal, you will serve me a sumptuous dessert. After dinner, you will clean the kitchen, draw me a bath so I can relax. You will wash my back, you will towel me dry and bring me my robe. Then you will massage my feet and hands. Then tomorrow, guess who's going to dress me and comb my hair. And the wife replied, the funeral director is my first guess. <laughs> um. Didn't quite get it right, so we're, we're hoping to get it right here this morning. So Paul describes these two roles in two ways. First, he does so from the perspective of the wife, and he begins in verse 22, and then he describes it from the perspective of the husband. You might say that these are kind of like two sides of the same coin. So in verse 23, he says that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. So that's side A. Side B, verse 24, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, to understand the roles of a husband and wife, we first need to understand the roles of Christ and the church because that's the analogy that he's making here. We we need to understand that if we're to understand our roles in marriage. And it's very clearly this, that Christ is the head of the church. I think that's pretty clear. I think we, we understand the church is his body. Christ is the head. The body always submits to Christ because it's the body and he is the head. The head will never become the body. And the body will never become the head. These roles are fixed. That is, they are not interchangeable. Now, if the husband is the head of the wife as, and that's probably a key word here, as Christ is the head of the church, and the wife is to submit to her husband as the church submits to Christ, then those roles never change either because they play off of the roles of Christ in the church. Now, what I think is humorous and and actually sad at the same time is that I think there are a lot of women who would say, you know, I kind of like this idea of my husband loving me as Christ loves the church, but but, but I don't know about this thing about submitting. I, I don't know about that. And at the same time, I think men say, you know, I don't know about loving my wife as Christ loved the church, but I really like this thing about submitting. And, and, and so there, there's the rub, isn't it? When Paul refers to husbands as the head of the wife, he's talking about his role as leader in the home. And the word head refers to a person who is in authority over another. And we see this elsewhere in Scripture, and you can go all the way back, and this is one of the reasons why I encourage you to go back and, and listen to Different by Design, because we started back in Genesis and, and worked our way right through here in Ephesians chapter 5. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we read that, this is Paul speaking, he says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife Is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. So, what you see here is that Jesus himself submits to the authority of the Father. Now, we know Jesus is God. Now, this is interesting here, and we don't have time really to delve into it, but, but again, because of the way we tend to think about leadership and authority and all of that, it's confusing to us. But remember, Jesus is the one that walked into the garden, knelt down and prayed, and said, Father, if it's possible, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus willingly submitted to the Father, The Father here is described as the head of Christ. Christ is the head of the man. Man is the head of woman. And these terms, though, I mean, it's hard to get past the very terms in our culture, isn't it? Headship, submission, right? You know, you hear the word submission, you think sub, submarine, underneath, beneath, right? Doormat or whatever. It's, many, it's hard for many people to just get past hearing these words. They associate headship with dictatorship and submission with slavery. They equate submission with um, being barefoot and pregnant you know, or being a doormat, just kind of taking it, whatever comes their way. They view male headship as outdated and misogynistic. That's the lens or the grid in which people view it even within the church. So it may be helpful here to give you, once again, a definition, a working definition of both headship and submission so, so that we're clear on what we're talking about. Um, and rather than recreating the wheel, uh, I found that John Piper's definition of headship and submission is extremely well-written and, I think, uh, very informative. He says, Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. Now, when you you read that, it's it's hard to argue with that. It's, It's hard to think that that's a bad thing. Let's take a look at submission. He said, submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. Again, the same thing can be said of, of this definition here. When you really get down to it, it's, it's almost as if God is saying that marriage is like a dance. Now, my wife and I like to go dancing. We don't do it very well, but we like to go. Some of you have actually gone with us. We like going up to the 94th Aero Squadron and um, participating in, in their um, Thursday night um, big band. Uh, they have a big band playing, and so there's a lot of old songs that are played. Um, we would not do well with, you know, modern music, trying to dance to that. But, but you know, you pull out some of those old tunes, those Frank Sinatra tunes. We, we can do okay, especially the slow ones when I can just sway, you know. I'm pretty I'm a good swear, okay? So we enjoy doing that. But what's amazing is I just love sitting there and watching the people who actually know how to dance. I mean, they're so graceful. It's it's like how do they do that? And I and I know that they had lessons and they learned and they put in all these hours and everything else. But then something else emerges as you watch it. You realize that for them to to do what they do as well as they do it one has to lead, and the other has to follow. One has to initiate, and one has to respond. Um, When my wife and I get out there, you know, we're trying to figure out who's leading, and you're just kind of, you know, stubbing each other's toes or whatever. You know, I, I try, I think I'm getting better at it, but nonetheless, to really make it work, You have to have somebody who's leading, and then the other one is following. And then you see the beauty and the harmony and the wonder of the dance. And I think the same is true in marriage. Now, husbands are commanded, it's not optional, commanded to love their wives as Christ loved the church. So how exactly did Christ do that? Well, the most obvious way that he did that is he laid down his life for her he died on the cross now when you think about that that ought to revolutionize the way we men view headship in the home if we're to love our wives as christ loved the church and he laid down his life for her that means we need to lay down our lives for our wives as well and and that that doesn't just mean you know you're that you're willing to take a bullet for her okay It means so much more than that. Headship is not about lording over our wives. It's about loving our wives and laying our lives down for them. It means that we're willing to sacrifice everything for them. It means we sacrifice our time, our energy, our desires, our dreams and plans, It may mean some of you don't go to Myrtle Beach to go golfing next weekend. It may mean that you don't buy that nice sports car that you wanted to buy because the money really needs to go somewhere else. It may mean that you don't take that dream job that's going to pull you away from your wife uh, for half the month traveling or moving across the country away from family away from your church. I don't know, but but the the point is is that we put our wives first. We love them as Christ loved the church and we put our own desires, our own agendas, our own plans on the back burner. And we say what is best for her. How can I help her be all that God intended for her to be? How can I minister to her? How can I serve her? And I and I think that Really, at the end of the day, that's how we lay our lives down. We serve our wives. I mean, what did Jesus say? When he came, he says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. I mean, think about it. Jesus Jesus was the second person of the Trinity. He is God, creator of the universe. He is the Lord. He is the head of the church. And yet we see him tie a towel around his waist and wash his disciples' feet. Gentlemen, that's what it means to be the head of your wife, to be the leader of your home. And, and, and if we are to love like that, we must become godly servant leaders. We don't bark out orders like the guy in the story. We find ways in which to serve our wives. Now, kids, I don't know if you pay attention to how mom and dad talk to each other, or how your dad serves your mom, but I want you to know something, that when you see your dad loving and serving your mom, you know what's happening? Your father is painting for you a picture of Jesus. They see Jesus in you, dads, when you do that. It's no wonder that marriage then points people to Jesus because we're to be like him. But not only do husbands, are husbands supposed to love their wives as Christ loved the church, they're to love their wives as their own body. Look at verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of His body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Why should He love his wife as his own body? Because they're one flesh. They're one person, man, if, if we could grasp that, guys, it, w- it would. It would revolutionize our lives. It would transform our lives, our marriages, our churches, and even the world that we live in. I, I, when, <sighs> there are so many things that we can do to hurt our wives, to, to mar our marriages, whether it's being verbally abusive, physically abusive, whether it's committing adultery, there's so many ways that we can do it. But if we viewed our wives as our own flesh, we are one. Well listen, I'm treating my body as as best as I can. I know I don't get as much exercise as I need to, but I do feed myself, I do clothe myself, I do brush my teeth, I do take care of myself, you know, and, and what the scripture is saying is that we need to do the same thing with our wives. And when you realize that when God brings a man and a woman together, that they are no longer two individual entities separate from each other, with a human contract that allows them to benefit from each other, but they actually become, become one flesh, one person. And I think if we understood that, we probably wouldn't be abusive towards them. We wouldn't even think about being unfaithful to them. Because we wouldn't want that to be done to us. They are one flesh. Now, on Paul's day, women were considered inferior beings. Um, They did not have the rights that women have today. She was not the equal to a man in any way, shape, or form. The wife existed primarily to fulfill his needs and to be a servant to him. Essentially, she was a slave. But the Christian view of marriage is much different. The Christian view of a wife. What the Bible says, what God says is very, very different. Scripture teaches that women are equal to men in personhood, and in dignity, and in worth. So when we talk about submission, submission then is not domestic slavery. It is actually a willing, joyful, response to Christ-like servant leadership that the husband exhibits. It's voluntary. She chooses, chooses to support her husband's leadership and to affirm it. There's so much more that could be said about this but I, I want us to, to now move away from talking about the roles uh, of a man and a woman in marriage and look at what I think Paul is really getting at here, and that is the mystery of marriage. The mystery of marriage. Um, I, I, I've got to be honest, growing up, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um, I remember there being a lot of screaming, a lot of yelling um I thought that was normal uh if if you had asked me about is is you know what's the mystery of marriage I would have probably have said that people can actually stay together who don't like each other you know to me that was a mystery i mean how does how does that happen um and and I think there are 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 now that i have lived a a little longer, I realize now that there are a lot of different ways that people make it through the years. Um, There was one couple, um, I remember reading this, that this man was feeling guilty about how angry he was all the time talking to his wife. And one day he says to her, he says, I just don't understand how it is that you have been able to put up with me all of these years. I, I just don't understand. How have you put up with all my sour moods my anger and this that you know thing and she says that's simple when that happens when you get like that i go to the bathroom and i clean the toilet and he said that helps She said yes because i use your toothbrush <laughs> so that's that's not the way god wants us to deal with conflict you know in in the home so that's not the mystery that i'm talking about here this morning look at at verse 32 if you would Paul says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, again, when we're talking about marriage, Christian marriage, we're not talking about a social construct or a human convention. We're talking about a divine institution, Marriage is something that God ordained, that God established. And Paul here is basing his entire argument on creation. So that's why you got to go back to Genesis um, chapter 2, uh, verse 24. In particular, he quotes it here almost verbatim. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Paul says, this mystery is profound. Profound. I love that word. It's profound. It is great. It is deep. It is remarkable. Now, he's not saying that that this is something that is unknowable. What he's saying here is that it is a mystery because God did not fully reveal all that marriage was intended to be and all that it was intended to do. He did not reveal his purposes for marriage fully until Christ came. Now there were hints and pointers to it in the Old Testament. You can can see that, that God likened his relationship to Israel as a marriage. So there there were glimpses of it, but the full meaning was not revealed until Christ came. According to Paul, marriage serves as a picture or an object lesson of the relationship between Christ and the church. So this relationship between husband and wife is meant to reflect the relationship of God, Christ, and the people of God, his children, the church the body of Christ. Jesus is the groom. We are the bride. This is why Jesus said in Luke chapter 20, verse 4, marriage is for people here on earth. But in the age to come, those worthy of being raised from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. So, you know, I mean, it's kind of depressing when I first... Think about it, you know, no marriage in heaven. Well, what's gonna happen with me and my wife? And you know, your mind starts going nuts here thinking about that. Well, the reality is marriage is a temporary institution. It was not designed to, to go into eternity because it was designed to point us to the ultimate relationship. The one that is most meaningful, most wonderful, most beautiful, most glorious, that will last forever and ever and ever. The ultimate purpose of marriage was not for our own happiness, but for the glory of God. And most people don't understand this, even Christians. I mean, most people, when they get married, they have no clue that this is what marriage is supposed to be about. But Christian marriage was designed to teach us about the eternal relationship of God and his people and to point others to Jesus. Now, uh, John Piper, again, does a wonderful job of of illustrating this truth. So I want you to imagine with me, and as I read what he has uh, written here, I want you to imagine the heavens are opened. The trumpet sounds, and the Son of Man appears on the clouds with power and glory, and with 10,000 of angels shining like the sun. He sends them out to gather his elect from the four winds. He raises from the dead those who have died in Christ. He gives them new and glorious bodies like his own, and transforms the rest of us in the twinkling of an eye, to be ready and fit for glory. The marriage supper of the Lamb has come. The long preparation of the Bride of Christ, the church, is finally over. Jesus takes her arm and, as it were, leads her to the table. And he stands at the head of the table, and a great silence falls over the millions of saints present. And he says, This, my beloved, was the meaning of marriage. This is what it pointed to. This is why I created you, male and female, and ordained the covenant of marriage. Henceforth, there will be no more marriage and giving in marriage, for the final reality has come and the shadow can pass away. Wow. What a day that will be. Now earlier I shared with you this definition of marriage as good as it is, um, I felt it was a little incomplete. Perhaps it still is. But I tweaked it a little bit and I added a few things. and I'd like to share it with you. Marriage is an exclusive, lifelong covenant between one man and one woman made in the presence of God and other witnesses. preceded by the leaving of parents, usually consummated in sexual union, and normally crowned with the gift of children. It is a divine institution designed to promote human happiness and holiness. Marriage reflects the unity of the Godhead and ultimately points to the union of Christ and his church. Many of you here this morning are not yet married, and and you're wondering... (laughs) What's this all got to do with me? How does this really apply to me? Well, listen, you don't need to be married to experience God's saving, redeeming grace. You don't have to experience the shadow to experience the reality. So everything that Paul's talking about, you have to understand, marriage is pointing to something greater. And all of us, whether we are single, married, male or female, one day we will all sit together at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Together. Now, after the analogy of verse 32, Paul returns to the practical application of his teaching, and he sums everything up simply by saying this. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, And let the wife see that she respects her husband. I just think this is an interesting way for Paul to close this section. Paul has argued already that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And to love them as they love their own bodies. And he gives them the same command here in verse 33 that he's given before. But notice Paul doesn't repeat the same command statement that he makes earlier concerning the wife Paul does not say that the wife is to submit to her husband as he did earlier rather he says she should see that she respect her husband i think this is informative of what submission is all about you see i think when a woman submits to her husband's loving leadership in the home, she is actually respecting him and his God-given role as the leader of the home. And although I don't know if I could point to anything that's definitive on this, but just from my own experience, I, I, I find it interesting that I think that the wife's greatest need is to be loved unconditionally, by her husband, to be valued and treasured by him. And I think the husband's greatest need is to be respected. Of course, you have to earn that respect. And I think that when a husband listens to his wife, loves his wife, serves his wife, in a way that Christ has done it, I don't think she's going to have any problems submitting to your leadership. I think as we look at this, maybe I could offer you some closing thoughts. Ladies, understand, submission does not mean that your husband is always right. You know that as a fact, but I just want to release you from that. They are, they're not Jesus, Okay. You submit to them out of reverence for Christ. And never should you follow your husband into sin. That that would not be submitting out of reverence for Christ. That would be submitting out of stupidity, out of error. Submission also doesn't mean that you don't share your thoughts, your feelings, your ideas and concerns with your husband. However, and it's a big however, you must find an appropriate way to do that. Nagging is not one of them. Okay? You have to find a way to communicate without, without undermining his leadership. And a smart husband will listen to his wife and seek her input. But understand, how you communicate is either going to affirm him and encourage him in his leadership, or it's going to undermine it. And you will eventually have a man who's just going to back up and he's going to punt. And he says, if you're not going to let me lead, I'm not going to lead. You have to be willing to let him make mistakes. We, We are not perfect. We will make mistakes. But the more we feel empowered to lead, the more we're going to want to make sure we're leading in the right direction. Thus, we are going to need to hear from you. Um, I've, I've always liked this, you know, that saying that says we we have to remember, men, that you know God has blessed us with two ears and one mouth. Okay, I think there's a reason for that, men. You need to affirm your wife's strengths and gifts. Um, the more she feels that she's valued, that her contributions are valued, the more she will embrace your leadership. You need to take your leadership in the home seriously. You can't afford to be, have a laissez-faire attitude when it comes to that. There is nothing, and, and my, I think my wife would, would agree with me, there is nothing more attractive to a godly wife than to see her husband love and lead like Jesus. And there are specific ways that you can do that. You take, you take the leadership of the home in, in many ways. You provide for, for, for the family you, you lead spiritually. You don't stay home on a Sunday morning, for instance, while your wife takes the kids to church. You take the kids to church. You lead by example. You read your Bibles. You pray. You lead family devotions. When a wife sees the husband taking the lead when it comes to discipline with the children and the safety and the security of the home. Gosh, when she sees you vacuuming the floor, she will be impressed. That's how you become the man of the house. So as I close, I I just again want to agree that Kostenberg was right. We are involved in a cosmic spiritual battle. The institutions of marriage and the family are under attack. But, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And we can, if we are willing, we can demonstrate to the world what a mutually satisfying and godly marriage looks like if we choose to. If we choose to put into practice biblical principles, and don't follow the ways of the world, but choose to do things God's way. We can do that. And like I said, it will transform our families, it will transform our churches, and even our communities where we live. And most importantly, when people start seeing husbands loving like Jesus, and wives submitting as the church submits to Christ, they will know that he is real, that he's alive, and that he can transform their lives too. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for our time this morning in your word. And Lord, I know that um, it runs counter to the culture in which we live. It is not something that the world values or esteems. And even within the church, we struggle with it because we have been so greatly influenced by our culture. Lord, help us um, to soften our heart, to be receptive to what you have to say, and, and to take great pains to learn how um, to function in these roles. And, and I pray, Lord, for those that are not yet married or, or those who were even once married. Lord, I pray that you would help them to understand that all of this is designed to point them to a future marriage, the marriage of the Lamb. And Lord, what a day that will be when we come into your presence and we are forever with you, our groom. Lord, we just thank you and praise you for what you've done today. And we pray for our marriages, our families, and ask that your perfect will would be done in all of them. In Jesus' name, amen.